Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our Wednesday night Bible study. We're in the book of Leviticus, which, in my humble opinion, best book in the Bible. Uh, it's the Holiness Code. And um, as we've been wrestling with this text, hopefully we've been learning a little bit, and you've been learning a little bit of, uh, of what God requires of us uh, to reflect his holiness to the world. We're in, we're about to begin chapter 13. Um, but we all acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is present no matter where we are in the world, and, uh, or even if you're listening on podcast. The same Spirit is with you as is with me. And we acknowledge this. One way we acknowledge this is, is through prayer. And Jennifer, would you pray us into our study? Father, we just thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you that uh, we are still able to communicate and share spiritual matters. I, I ask that you would uh, anoint your servant and, and uh, Aaron and that he would uh, just give us what we need to hear as, as you open our ears, our eyes, and our understanding to the truths you would have us to know this day. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray. Amen. 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 All right, as is our tradition, I'm going to read the uh, uh, highlights, the, the summary from last week. For those that are listening in podcast, you should be able to download the notes as well. Leviticus chapter 12 from last week. Summary as follows. All ancient cultures had rules and rituals for childbirth. Somewhat naturally, then, we encounter instructions, albeit short ones, for Israelite childbirth. The Pashids starts with the Lord speaking only to Moses. The absence of Aaron, who is spoken to in chapters 11 and 13, so in the chapters surrounding it, the Lord speaks to Moses and Aaron. Now we just speak to Moses. So the absence of Aaron uh, is noteworthy. Moses holds the role of prophet for the community. Thus, in Jewish exegesis, there is a prophetic link to the miracle of bringing children into the world. The second verse of chapter 12 literally reads, if a woman produces seed and gives birth to a male child. Now, it could just simply, more simply read, if a woman gives birth. So why the explicit reference to seed when biologically a woman only produces eggs? There is a prophetic link to Genesis 3 in which the seed of a woman will have enmity and ultimately defeat the enemy. Having children and populating literally to fill the earth is one of the first commands that the Lord gives mankind. It is considered a mitzvah to have children, and it is not considered a sinful activity, for surely the Lord would not command you to perform sin. The issue here is not with sin per se but with purity of clean and unclean. The presence of blood during childbirth necessarily meant that the woman was now in an impure state. Yet at the same time, blood was considered to be the life force of the body. As it is written, life is in the blood. Blood could not be consumed and it belonged to God. 
and so it needs to be treated with sacred care. Hence, blood was considered both impure and sacred at exactly the same time. The woman would be in a shorter or longer state of impurity depending on the sex of the baby. So 40 days for a male child and 80 days for a female child. There are no explanations in scholarship that can account for the time difference. People offer all kinds of explanations, none of which are satisfactory. Some commentators noted that this was an ancient form of maternity leave for the woman, which, if you think about it, puts a positive spin on things. While there is no mention of the husband in this process at all, purity, holiness, as well as sin, are transferable. The woman would be forbidden from touching holy objects or visiting sacred places during this time, lest she pass on her impurity to others or to things. Should the child be a male, then on the eighth day he would be circumcised. This was a command given to Abraham in Genesis 17. It was to be a sign of the covenant between God and the Jewish people. This individual personal sign would obviously apply to the males. However, what about the females? What sign did they receive to remind them of the covenant with God? And the short answer is none. Does this mean that women are inferior in some way? Will they fall outside of the covenant unless they're attached to a man? Well, it's a lot more complicated than that. Biblically, women played a prophetic role in the redemption of humanity. God breathed life into Adam, the first man. And since then, life came from a woman. Women would partake in the act of creation. This is as the ancients saw it. Women gave birth to other humans. Some of the chief deities of the pagan world were fertility goddesses. During the Exodus, it was Miriam who used her prophetic calling to locate water, the source of life for the Israelites in the desert. And it was the seed of the woman which would bring the downfall of the enemy. In the New Testament, we see a high appreciation for the calling of women, who, as Paul says cryptically in 1 Timothy 2.15, that women will be saved through childbearing, and they should, should they continue in faith, love, and holiness. Faithful women could also be a covering for their unbelieving husbands, and vice versa in 1 Corinthians 14. In much of Christian theology, the focus is on the individual and their personal salvation and standing before the Lord. The Jewish people did, and still do, also think in terms of community. Households are saved, and covenants and blessings are made with households and generations of family. Perhaps we think too little of the faith of our partners and family members when we constrain redemption only to the individual level. This also widens our individual responsibility to maintain our personal faithfulness within families and social groups. Why? Because holiness is transferable. At the conclusion of the time of purification, the woman was required to bring a sacrifice to the priests. Lambs were preferred, 
but birds would suffice in the case of poverty. We note that in Mary and Joseph's case with Jesus, they bring two doves, which signifies their impoverished condition. The Magi had yet to arrive and bring the gold and incense gifts. There were two offerings made before the Lord, a burnt offering and a sin offering. And as noted in previous studies, burnt offerings and sin offerings were for unintentional sin. As procreation was a command from God, one would assume that the intention had been to get pregnant all along, right? It's not just an accident uh, and not intentionally. So what sin are we referring to here if we need to bring a sin offering? Jewish commentary notes several options. One ancient tradition states that during the time of the birth, the woman unwittingly said a lie. She swore that she would never let her, now insert profane word for your choice here, close brackets, uh, husband, she would never let her husband touch her again. Another tradition notes the dangerous journey that childbirth is and that sin offerings were applicable for those arriving safe from a long journey. A more modern tradition is noted by Lord Rabbi Sachs that the sin offering was for the future sins that the child would commit, somewhat akin to Job sacrificing for the future sins of his children. Whatever the reason, it is the priest, not the sacrifices, who makes atonement for the woman and not the child. Atonement, covering in Hebrew, is not the same as forgiveness. Atonement here is for purity, and it is not concerned with sin. The final sentence is, after this offering, she is clean, not forgiven. During our discussion, we looked at some of the differences between the concepts of atonement and forgiveness. Jesus the Messiah is the Passover lamb, a sin offering to take away the sins of the world. What differences do we note concerning the festival of Passover and the Day of Atonement? Well, the Day of Atonement is actually in the plural form. It's the Day of Atonements. There are multiple sacrifices on Yom Kippur, but there's only one lamb at Passover. During the Atonement, the command is to fast. Conversely, the Passover lamb must be consumed in a feast in one sitting. Sacrifices on Yom Kippur covered the whole community, irrespective of their participation in the event, while the blood of the lamb covered individual households only if they applied the blood themselves. The fact that your neighbours applied blood on the door frames of their houses did not affect your household in the slightest. Passover was for redemption from the angel of death and atonement, a covering which involved an exchange, something for something. Passover involves behaviour, that is the applying of blood but there is no exchange. Forgiveness comes without an exchange alongside right behavior. Or as James says, faith without works is dead. That was our discussion on Leviticus chapter 12. So we are looking at 13. Now 13, a really long chapter. We are not, as I said last week, going to read all of it, that would just um, take us until kingdom come, uh, which might be fun. But 
I thought what we'll do is before waiting for the final redemption, we might study a little bit of Bible. So we'll read a few verses. Um, uh, I'll read verses 13, 1 to 8. Then I'll skip to 29 to 37 and then 40 to 46. This should cover roughly kind of what's in, in, um, in the text. Okay. So, guys, whatever versions you're listening to uh, or reading, it's not um, all that important. I'm personally reading from an ESV and uh, Leviticus 13, starting 1 to 8. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of a leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons, the priests, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area is turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, uh, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease is not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days and the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded and the disease has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption. And he shall wash his clothes and he'll be clean. But if the eruption spreads on the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest. And the priest shall look. And if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. Continuing on from 29. The 37. When a man or a woman has a disease on the head or the beard, the priest shall examine the disease. And if it appears deeper than the skin and the hair on, its, on it is yellow and thin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease on the head or of the beard. And if the priest examines the itching disease and it appears no deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut up the person within, with the itching disease for seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the disease. If the itch has not spread and there is no yellow hair and the itch appears no deeper than the skin, then he shall shave himself. But the itch he shall not shave. And the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for another seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the itch. And if the itch is not spread in the skin and it appears to be no deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. He shall wash his clothes and he'll be clean. But if the itch spreads in the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him. And if the itch has spread in the skin, the priest need not seek for yellow hair. He is unclean. But if, if in his eyes the itch is unchanged and the black hair has grown in it, the itch is healed and he is clean. And the priest shall pronounce him clean. Now, when a man or a woman has spots on the skin of his body, white spots, the priest shall look. And if the spots on the skin of the body are a dull white, it is uh, leukioderma that has broken out on the skin. But oh, let's let it, we'll stop there. And then the next one at 40, the man's hair falls out from his head. He is bald, he is, but he is clean. 
If a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he, is, he has baldness on the forehead, but he is clean. But if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish-white diseased area, it is a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. And then the priest shall examine him. And if the diseased swelling is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of a leprous disease on the skin of his body, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. His disease is on his head. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, and he will let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip, and he will cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Oof. All right. All right, guys, as is our tradition, based on a literal reading before we begin with our study, is there anything there that jumps out at you? Yeah, something that jumped out at me. It's interesting how they're quarantined for seven days. Why not five? Why not three? Why not two? Why not eight? Seven and the idea of the complete period, right? But it's so interesting. now. And then, um, like, it, for a long time with COVID, 14 days. So it's interesting, the seven idea. Yeah, it's uh, we've, we've we've encountered this before. This uh, this idea of seven, and for those that uh, remember Moti's uh, Bible study, he was discussing the number seven, the gematria behind it. We had a really good uh, study there. Um, apart from the seven day quarantine, what's not in the text? Remember, what's not in the text is sometimes just as important as what is in the text. Anyone know? Yes, well done. There's no mikveh. Yet in previous uh, chapters, water was a really big thing, making stuff clean. Here's something, here's something um, actually quite, uh, quite different. Um, so it was the uh, belief in the ancient world that God, who's the king of the universe, he oversees the entire world. He's the king of the universe. So he's obviously doing stuff in the macro level. But he's also intimately affair, uh, involved in the affairs of households and of the individual. For example, according to Jewish tradition, God is so involved in, um, in the minute details of individual human life, he arranges the marriage between Adam and Eve. So he acts as matchmaker. He's wedding celebrant. Michael the archangel does Eve's hair. There's a whole midrash on the whole service. You know, God's got a whole universe to run, but he is, he is intimately involved in the celebration of individual humans as well. Um, and so it was believed, it's called in Hebrew, hashgacha uh, pratit, particular, particular providence. That is, God is involved with every individual as well as the universe. Thus, what's happening to an individual might have something to do with God. And so there is going to be a tradition that bad things happen. Why? Because of, what is it? The fall of man. Well, the fall of man. And what, what's part of that, of the fall of man? Individual personal sin. Now, that's not to say that everything that goes wrong is individual personal sin. But it is going to have an element. And if we're probably all honest, we all probably do the same. And so when we read various commentaries, also in Jewish ones, you also realize that when they're reading these texts and they're looking at this thing called leprosy, they, uh, they, it's going to 
it's going to be discussed. Is this actually just a biological disease or is there something else behind it? Okay, so a couple of hands raised there. I'll start with Vida and David. There's just two things, Erin. It struck me that the leprosy in the, in the forehead, in the bald forehead, is really a very distinct thing that the person has to go around, cover their lip shut, unclean, unclean, be outside. There's a real, it's not just like having leprosy. This is a really unclean form of leprosy. It's very distinct. And also the second thing is today, it's, it, it was the priest that declared the person clean or unclean. How does it work today with the Jewish rabbinic um, world? Because do they go to doctors if they get a disease now such as this? Or do they have to get a priest now to declare them clean or unclean? Or do they rely on the doctor? How does it work in today's society? Well, that's a good question. And, uh, Mordecai, you got any comments about um, practice today? It's not practice today. Okay. So in the ancient world, the, the image was God is a healer. Adonai Rafoi, right? God is my healer. So uh, if God is my healer and God has priests and I want to get healed, who do I go and see? The priest. The priest, right? The, 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 there are no doctors in the Bible, in the old, in the Hebrew Bible. They are by the time we get into the New Testament. That, that practice begins. And, um, and, uh, and it's up to humans to be able to invent medicine. Okay, now where, where does this theology come from? I hear you ask. From Genesis. It's God gives a command to Adam and Eve and to the people he has created. Go forth and subdue the earth or um, kavsha. Okay, it literally means conquer the earth. Right? It doesn't say how. How do you conquer the earth? And so one way, obviously, is we think in terms of military, conquering armies and such. That's not what it means. Conquering the earth means planting crops, growing gardens, tending the earth, taking care of creation. The sentence doesn't say, I, the Lord, command you to start agricultural farming. Okay? It doesn't say that. That's what you decide how to do. So God gives you a command, and then you figure out the, the detail for the minutia. And so... Um, you come to a priest looking for help. You come to a doctor looking for help. Doctors are allowed to make medicines to help. Okay, that's where you get this idea that it's okay to, to go to a doctor and, and, and take drugs. All right, starting with uh, Andrew. I've never seen a case of leprosy, but generally it's a, a slowly progressive disease that affects uh, the peripheral nerves leading to deformities. So what's being described here is really unlike leprosy, it doesn't really sound like leprosy at all. So it's probably got multiple meanings, but what's being described isn't really like leprosy. And maybe the term leprosy is maybe not the most accurate term that might have been used and might have been introduced, perhaps not entirely accurately somewhere along the line. Yes, correct. Yeah. The actual word in Hebrew, what's the word in Hebrew again? It's, um... I think it's a sarat, right? Sarat. Sarat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's translated um, in the Septuagint as lepra, where we get the word leprosy from. But, it's, but it just means skin disease. It doesn't mean the leprosy. You're right, Andrew. It doesn't mean the, the leprosy like we mean it today, the Hansen's disease. Okay? Um, even, even Hippocrates. Everyone know who Hippocrates is? Yep. Yeah. He, you, you take uh, the Hippocratic oath, I believe. Is that true, Andrew, when you, when you 
become a doctor? Yep. Correct. He used the word lepra also to describe skin disease, and none of which were, were leprosy as we know it. So you're absolutely right. It's another form of skin disease. It's not, not the one known as leprosy, yet it's, it's the one our translations use because the translators come to the word, Greek word lepra and they leap into leprosy. And so we all now assume it's, it's that. Um, but it's some sort of, um, some sort of other uh, skin, skin problem. Okay. Um, Moti, Moti. Yeah. Andrew, are you done? I was just going to say on that term, the, in the next chapter, we come to the, um, the garments and the walls of the houses. And that I think the same term is used for, uh, for the mildew or whatever. The... It is. It's used for mildew as well. Yep. Same word. As Andrew said, the sarat was any disease that produced sores and eruptions on the skin, according to Talmud 63. And also, again, according to Talmud, it was a punishment for sin. We read it in Arakin 16a. I'm going to read it in English. It says, Rabbi Shumel Bar Nachmani says that Rabbi Yohanan said, this Sarat marks come and afflict a person for seven sinful matters, for malicious speech, for bloodshed, for an oath taken in vain, for forbidden sexual relations, for arrogance, for theft, and for stinginess. And that's, that's the reason why people had to come to a Kohen, because the Kohen basically determined whether she or he was being punished by God or not. So that's why they had to come to the priest, because the priest is not a rofe, it's not a doctor. So that was the reason. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Yep. So in the ancient world, um, this, this plague on the skin was attached to, as Mordecai is saying, sin. And there was one particular sin, which was you were guaranteed to get it. Anyone know what it is? Pride. No? Slander. Slander. Yes. Slander. It's the sin of slander. Gossip, the tongue, which you find in the, in the New Testament. The tongue seems to be like, you know, this is the most powerful of all objects. And um, uh, in Proverbs 6, you get this idea of the seven deadly sins. Okay, there are, there are, It starts uh, by saying there are six sins, six sins which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. And first one, pride. But the second one, a lying tongue. Okay, this idea that uh, this tongue that comes out and says and says lies. And again, in um, Psalm thirty-four, it also describes that the greatest of sin is, is slander. So the rabbis are have got a few Bible verses to put themselves together to work out that um, the the greatest of our sins is something to do with our tongue. And how does God warn us that we're using our tongue inappropriately? He might strike us with some sort of plague. How do I know if I've got the plague because it's a natural plague or whether it's because of some spiritual sin? i got to go to a priest. i got to go to the Kohen, as uh, Mordecai says. Okay, David. Yes, Aaron, uh, leprosy. I'm looking at Luke 5, uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. Uh, there's this guy that comes up to the Lord Jesus. He's full of leprosy, according to the word. And he said, Lord, wilt thou make me clean? 
I, I find it interesting that there's the Lord God, there's Lord Jesus. Okay, there's no person walking around saying, I'm unclean, but yet the Lord heals him. But the Lord still tells him, you need to go and show yourself to the priest and offer the, the, the offering for cleansing at that point, right? And uh, although we're disputing, uh, there seems to be some dispute about sores and all the rest of it, here the man is full of leprosy. So yeah. seems to have something on his skin that's definitely... Um... And, and, and the, question, the question is, here, if they had this thing, uh, they were told to walk outside and say, I'm unclean, and nobody could touch them, they had to go outside, right? Yep. Here was a person in their midst full of leprosy, right? And here is, is, is Lord Jesus, a very, you know, perfect, holy, and, and yet he touches the person and makes him clean. Yeah. And, and that's actually so, a really big deal. Because, like, in the animals can only transmit uncleanliness when they're dead. Yeah. Right? You pick up a dead animal, you remove it from the camp, like we read last week, and, and then you're unclean. So you have to have water, which don't, you don't find in this chapter. But humans... Humans are different because they can transmit uncleanliness when they're alive. Yes. Isn't that interesting? Animals can only do it when they're dead. Humans can do it when we're alive. That's a bit of a problem. That is a problem, yes. Mordecai, you're up. Yes. Uh, in Israel, especially on the road, like Road 6 or like these highways, you see dead animals, you know, that was hit by a car, and the Jews don't touch it. They usually wait for a special uh, Arab or non-Jewish uh, for example, like a worker group to come and pick it up. Is that right? Yeah, Road 6, especially Road 6, this Yitzhak Rabin Highway uh, has their own uh, groups for that, especially the Arabs. They come and pick it up to the, uh, for example, to the other side of the road. That's, that's incredibly, oh, I find that interesting on, on this level. We won't, we won't touch animals because that makes us unclean. But there is one thing we will touch because it's a mitzvah to clean up. Anyone know what it is? It's the remains of uh, people killed in suicide attacks. There's a special unit of religious Jews that will go around after every suicide attack and they will pick up every little bit of human flesh and they will, and they will make sure it gets a burial, including the bomber, right? They, you, know, you know, bizarre, they'll even pick up the bomber and go, okay, this is a bit of the bomber, we'll put him in a bit of the bag and we'll give him a funeral. Right, and it's um, but it shows it's, it's an interesting thought that the human value of life is so powerful that we will become unclean touching this, but an animal, nah, no, no possible way. That's we'll let somebody else do that. Okay. But it's an interesting little little take on it. Yvonne from Brazil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something very interesting. Um, just going a little bit further, I know we went up to eight. But 12 says, if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin so that the disease covers all of the skin of, of, the, deceased, of the diseased person from head to foot, so far as a priest can see, then the priest shall look at it and he shall pronounce him clean of his disease. So it's amazing that if he's completely covered with lepra, in this case, Sarat, but I'm not sure exactly what this would be. But if he's completely breaks out, so he's covered all, the, the whole disease has covered his whole body from head to foot, and the priest sees he shall he will uh, pronounce him clean. So if if it has turned white, he is clean. I think that's a very interesting. Then it talks about, of course, if the rash appears and if it's then that's. But if he's all covered and it's white, then he's he's pronounced clean. And that connects, Yvonne, thank you, directly to what Lord Jesus was doing. 
Yeah. It's an interesting later, some of the elements that they have to take to, um, for the uncleanliness, um, a scarlet yarn, hyssop. There's a, several things that reminds me a little bit of Passover and um, this concept of, of killing the animals and then this red pos- this red uh, element as well as the hyssop. So it's, it's interesting, these, these observations. The, when, when, whose responsibility is it to identify the skin disease? The priest. Okay. Who else? The, the person who has it. Correct. So individual responsibility is first. Mm. Yeah, you've got the individual responsibility to actually notice your body and go, oh, whoops, um, I should probably go see a priest about this, as opposed to, no, I think I'll hide it, I think I'll just uh, carry on in my normal life and infect everybody because, um, you know, I'm cool with it. Um, but you've got there is a piece of individual responsibility about going and seeing uh, the priest. Now, what happens if our little priest doctor is not good at his job? And he makes everybody unclean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he could misdiagnose. Okay. He probably wouldn't, but you know. Probably don't not. Let me stand with the Kohanim once again. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so you should. And so you should. Well, like he declaring that he's unclean is like very similar to confession of the sin, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, he got the I'm unclean, maybe spiritually, physically, but I'm unclean. So, yeah. Janet and then Brandon. Yeah, I hope I'm not bringing a diversion here. I'm just thinking in the New Testament, when somebody has something wrong, not necessarily leprosy, the people will say, well, did he sin or did his parents sin? Mm-hmm. Is there any reference to this, uh, Mati, in the Tanakh? Because we're saying that this is sort of seen as sin if you have the leprosy or you have whatever. But is there any reference to the fact that, that it wasn't you yourself who sinned, but you inherited um, sort of the sins of the fathers passing down to the to sons, to the fourth generation. We don't see it in Tanakh, we only see it in the, in the Talmud. But we have, don't we have it, oh, in the Talmud, but don't we have somewhere in the Tanakh saying that the sins of the fathers will be, go down to the fourth generation? Yeah, but it's not the Sarat, but it's not the leprosy, the other sin. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The The issue that we need to discuss, we'll get to it, is where does this disease originate from? Is it natural or is it supernatural? Miriam shows it's supernatural. Right. And do you remember the Bible verse that where that comes from? No. <laughs> Sorry. Numbers 12. Okay. So the, the reason why a lot of Jewish commentaries pick up on the idea that this is actually from a sin and it's not actually something natural. Yes, yes. Com- comes from the, the, the encounter of Miriam, who was speaking the truth, just not in love, <laughs> about her brother, about her brother Moses having married um, an Ethiopian, right? Well, it was a malicious speech, so it wasn't her job. So here's the thing. Aaron did the same, and it was only Miriam that got the leprosy. Yeah, bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. God liked Aaron's. <laughs> God likes Aaron. Yes, God really likes Aaron. It's biblical, and um, and yeah, and so and and she had it. She had the leprosy, and 
and, uh, and, it, and it went away. Because the Lord had chosen Aaron to be the high priest, he would not back out on that. Could be. What, what's Brandon got? Oh, yes, Brandon, Germany. What you got, mate? I, I just had a question. So I know you said that the individual had to come himself to the priest. Um, I, I use the same version as you, ESV, and it says here, then he shall be brought uh, to Aaron, the priest. So I was wondering if it's just individual or is there also a plurality there, like within the community, somebody else bringing them to the priest? Uh, I don't know what it says in the original, so that's why I'm asking. That's a good question. It's, the, it's plural. Obviously, the first person to ever notice the problem will be the individual if he fails to go himself his 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 brother his work colleague his the guy who works in the marketplace might discover hey dude what's wrong with your arm and he's like oh, nothing this is a bit itchy we are we better go see the priest i don't want to go uh shlomo come over here we're going to have to take um aaron aaron for a walk out the back in a loving christian way and uh, take it to the priest. Uh, but, yeah, so there is, there is a community, individual responsibility and a community responsibility. But the ultimate thing is come to see a priest. Why? We need to figure out if this is actually sin or not, which brings us back to the question from Janet from Canada. Who's sinning here, him, the priest, uh, or his family? Is this actually sin? Or have we missed the game entirely and it's actually just purely natural? A lot of questions. Yes, but the Torah allows for both. Right. right. The Torah allows for that, that this could just be completely natural. It could heal it on itself. We'll keep him in quarantine. And if, it, if it's just natural, do. Excellent. Put some oil on it, whatever, and away you go. But if it's a sin, well, the priest got another job now. Now he's going to have to figure out, dude, what did you do? You know, um, um, what, what's, what's going on in your life? Um, talk to me. We're doing an intervention uh, or something like that. Uh, Sharon. Because remember when Jesus said that, they had asked Jesus, was this his, the sins of his father or himself? But he had said, no, this was just for the glory of God. So it wasn't even, sin wasn't even involved in that case. But he was blind. It's a different story. Yeah, yeah. So this, one's, this one's blindness, which they had attached to, uh, to sin. But what we're discussing here is sarat, the, um, the idea of... But any sickness or any thing... Sure. Sure. Pain or suffering caused by it. Hey, Marty, come on, you're smiling. <laughs> so let's take let's take it on to ourselves. Let's remember the actual text, all of Leviticus 13, doesn't mention sin at all. Right? Let's let's that's that's from the from the literal Peshat level. No sin is mentioned. Just like childbirth, no sin is mentioned, just the, the idea of atonement. Um, what is mentioned is is purity, clean, unclean. And, um, and no sacrifice is required here, right? Once you've come out of quarantine, you don't okay, leap into, okay, now I have to go and um, sacrifice. They'll come in another chapter. This is something different. This is just being sick and then getting well. But if there is uh, a sin and the text doesn't say, now remember, when we study the Bible, What's not in the text is just as important as what is in the text. So what is in the text is the, is the natural. That is, some diseases are just diseases. You get them, okay? You get sick, you take a pill, 
taking medicine, have a rest, see a doctor, have an operation, you know, whatever it is. That's just part of the job. But there are other things that occur in our life that are actually results of our own behavior. And that's not in the text. But it is in commentaries. And it's and Jewish commentaries, the Talmud, and even Christian commentaries. And ourselves. I bet everyone here in this group and those that are listening could probably tell me of an event where something happened and somebody said, ah, that's probably because you said this or you did that, or even we feel it ourselves. So how do we as a community deal with sickness? What do we do, guys? In Israel, you call the police when you see somebody with corona. So, <laughs> Yeah, when you see someone with corona or just, or uh, if just they were coughing, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's a really good point, Aaron, just to, to con- consider, okay, God, you know, are you trying to tell me something? Because often I find God's brought, you know, sickness to our family connections ourselves, you know, in the world in general, to bring people closer to God and or to deal with like an issue in their hearts. And I, it's very powerful and very effective. It certainly brings people back to, you know, the important things in life, right? Mm-hmm. So you, okay, so Sharon, you saw uh, some sort of illness or some sort of negative thing that happened as a positive spiritual experience. Yeah, like it doesn't feel good. So I think I've kind of observed in my Christian experience that, yeah, God doesn't always care about our comfort, but he cares about our holiness and wants us to grow and learn. So uh, our society, North America, I live in Canada, North America is so obsessed about feeling good all the time that it's just gone off the charts. And it's not really about that ultimately. Mm. Anybody else um, have the same, similar or even dissimilar? Um, thoughts. What about in Brazil? Because that actually can be quite a spiritual, spiritual place where they look at everything in in the terms of the spiritual world, not always positive. Um, do they see diseases uh, emanating from spirits or sins? Um, not too much. Although there's, you know, the spiritists they try to put the sickness on people, or they do these works on the kind of like off these off the beaten path and they'll like kill chicken heads and put like things in jars and they will try to do that as a, an omeny kind of a bad thing for for people but i don't know that the right the general population um would consider sometimes they would say yeah something yeah, that's true something oh yeah so they you know maybe put on the the they the, the eye to kind of <laughs> the greek eye in a sense to have that taken away or, and um, so, yeah, a little bit depends on which world that you're living in. But my personal experience is that I always kind of like sharing, like, uh, what's the Lord trying to teach me through this or our family? Um, and uh, like when we all got sick with Corona, our whole family more than a year ago, um, definitely, you know, what does the Lord want to teach us through this? And, and um, uh difficulties and self-identify it as a sin or did you just did you take it as a natural phenomena that you could still learn something spiritually from maybe the natural phenomena but you i always definitely want to be in you know um to be to know god and to be known by him i think that's the main that's the big issue and so um you know, what, what does the Lord want to teach us through all of this? Or anytime, anytime there's a difficulty, that's always a question in our house. What is the Lord trying to teach? And um, 
I did one time I did have something where I definitely noticed it was from the Lord. I can share my son went to um, college. It was not the school that I wanted him to go to. And I thought, oh, I want my kids to study in the U.S. and not in Brazil and a whole long story. But and it was back and forth with my husband and um, a lot of discussions. And no, they should study here and back and forth. And eventually they did study here. And uh, during that time that I was discussing, there's a lot of emotional issues going on, like with my husband. <laughs> and I started noticing that I didn't see, I think I shared this, that I couldn't, I started losing vision in one eye. And, um, and it was like, wow, after those discussions, I, I was like, gosh, what's wrong with me? I went to the doctor and they're like, you have a glaucoma and you're, you know, young for relatively young for glaucoma. <laughs> so I did the operation and everything afterwards, the Lord was teaching me. I went and looked at uh, different passages in the Bible. And it really, for me, like my ended up, my children studied in, in our city and it was a blessing. They grew spiritually. It was just a blessing that they stayed where they, where my husband had wanted them to stay. And I knew that that was from the Lord. He had taken that and it was spiritual blindness. And uh, I operated and afterwards, I went through in several passages in the Bible where um, like Eli, his sight, he'd gone blind and some, I don't remember who else. And then um, it says like, is it most, I think Moses died in, in years and his, his, he was still, his eyesight was still good and he was strong. So that to me was definitely... <laughs> physical and um you know the the, the sinning part so it, it's interesting it, it is definitely something that we need to always evaluate in our own, own lives and, and isn't it isn't if we regard it too much as a natural phenomena we'll only ever look to human physicians and forget the real physician am i right i think so i think what we find in the text here is at the peshat level it's purely natural but but, but, but it's written in such a way that you ask the question, where else does it come from? And I need to figure this out. And so I go to a priest to figure this out. And if it is supernatural, if it is a, a sin, then I'll deal with it. And obviously there's my personal individual responsibility to deal with sin. There's a community responsibility to deal with sin. Like what, what's, the, what's the passage we find in the New Testament where it's a community responsibility? Anyone know? If you see your brother sinning, what do you do? You take one person and talk to them. Right. You don't go, oh, well, that's his business. Him and Jesus obviously got some work to do this evening. You know, um, it's actually, no, hang on. You and him got some work to do this evening. So there is, there is this community part as well. And then, and then um, so there's that spiritual aspect as well. So we've got to, we've got to keep, keep both things um, sitting um, at play. And let's also remember, that they have a physical quarantine. Okay, the the the, the Bible's not um, um, silly. Yeah, that's actually quite a healthy thing. If you have a virus, quarantine. If you've got a sin, quarantine. Quarantine. <laughs> no, our community does not. Our community, as we all will admit, permits sin to stay inside the camp. Do we not? Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. And so here you've got this idea. He's, the guy's got to become unkempt and he's got to walk around. I'm unclean. I'm unclean, you know. Um, and uh, why do they do that? Because they're, they're trying to actually protect holiness. We're trying to make a, a holy community. Um, what we've unfortunately got ourselves into is a situation where we have no way to identify sin anymore in our society. And, uh, and we have no way to cleanse it from our society. Um, there's a verse in the New Testament. What does Paul say? 
to do with a sin to the, the sinner that just does not want to repent. He cannot. Yeah, I mean, our natural reaction is, what, Paul? You're, man, you're tough. Dude, we would never do such a thing because we're actually loving and you're obviously not, um, you know. Um, but he's, he's, got, he's, got a, he's got a tradition. He's got the Torah. Mm. And he knows, okay, on a, on a physical level, if someone's got the plague, he stays outside the camp. He also knows if someone's got a spiritual problem that might infect somebody else, and I don't want my, my brother uh, getting hurt too, you need, you need to go away for a while so until you've got yourself sorted out. And there's lots of processes in the middle. So it's a bit more complicated, but you can see it based in the, in the, in the, in the Torah itself. Okay, so there's a bunch of hands raised. Going with Janet from Canada, then Turkey. I was just getting back to your question of when we get sick, we go first. Um, I think we should, I, I think it would be quite biblical to to go to God first or, or to say, you know, he, he's the ultimate healer. And, of course, we have doctors now, which is great. I wanted to go back to something without being <laughs> divergent. Um, this isn't something I came up with myself, but it was pointed out that when God created, you know, uh, in the beginning, Bara, God created the heaven and the earth. The, the person who was studying it said, is, are, are the same letters for health, which is Briot, is, is that contained, is that is a sort of a sense of in creation in the Bara, God created the heaven and the earth, that there was absolute health, because our word for health is the same, it, it, it's a similar sort of word, I don't know. It's a similar route. I've never thought of that before. I'll have to investigate it. So I'll write that down. But it, but it seems that there was ultimately in the garden there was health. There was no sick in the garden at all. Yeah. But Barai's creation of Riyut is uh, is health. Although they're from the same church. And and I have to admit, you know, when you live in when you live in a time when there's so much health, there's so much medication, there's so much everything, you tend not to think of your sickness as perhaps, okay, I've been ignoring something in my life, you know, I'm, I'm not living in a right way, which would be, you know, affecting your immune system, whatever. So mm -hmm. we, we, we should look for that. I sort of feel that God doesn't, I don't, I don't know, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with God teaching through illness. I think that in it, we, we need him more. So there's a relationship, our relate, we, we become, we know more who he is. Mm -hmm. We know more a relationship with him because we're sort of, when, when we're weak, we're vulnerable. Yeah. We, we go to him. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's a bit scary to think that somebody that's, gets cancer because God wants to teach them something. I mean, God's not the origin. It's hard for us to understand that. And I'm not saying that that's with beyond his purview because it certainly is looking at the story of Job. Um, uh, the the uh, I'm not saying that he does it all the time, but it's something we can't rule out just because I don't understand God's mind. It, the Jewish people, just so we all know, Jewish commentators, as, as Mordecai's raised right at the beginning, um, they understood this as a as a as a way of God trying to get our attention. And um, there was an, when I was reading um, through the, the Talmudic commentaries on uh, this portion, they almost all leapt to slander and, and evil talk, Lashon Hara, like 
they mentioned some other sins, but they were really focusing on the tongue. And, and they were saying things like, God, he, he starts us off light. He, he infects our house and then, and then if, we don't, if we ignore the house, then it comes onto our clothing. If we ignore the clothing, then it comes onto our skin. If we ignore the skin, it goes onto our families. You know, this sort of uh, this idea that God keeps poking and pushing, saying, wake up, boy, come on. I want you to wake up. You're doing something wrong. He doesn't leave us alone. He's actually engaged in the intimate affairs of man. So they, the whole idea, again, at the beginning when I was uh, mentioning, uh, the beginning of, the, of our study, God is the king of the universe. He creates, as you did, bara and briot, health, but he's also intimately involved in absolutely every little piece of our detail. So he's both at the same time. Magnificent king, intimate, intimate friend. And, uh, and so, therefore, he also uh, enters into um, a, a wake-up call. Uh, so there, there are multiple streams of, of, every, of every facet to look at an illness. One, of course, is natural. One is supernatural. Once we go into each of those levels, the conversations get, get, get bigger. We can't ignore any of them. Uh, Turkey, Malti, Mordecai. Yes, uh, <clears throat> Rabbi Rosenfeld, Rabbi who is a very wise man, wrote something about the Sarat. He says Sarat was a spiritual thing and not a physical melody. And he says, whenever we suffer illness, we should take it as a sign from heaven. And he quotes from Talmud Barachot 5a. So in this case, should we consider Corona, COVID-19 pandemic, as a sign from heaven? Is it a punishment? What do you guys think? Oh, man, should I... Should I should I stop the recording right now before we, we go on, <laughs> before we all get banned? Be brave, be brave, Aaron, be brave. I have a really good verse, boys. Uh, Exodus 32, 35. Oh, so. Does it apply to what Mordecai's question? It's an answer to his question, yeah. Okay. Answer me, Cheryl. We're right on you. Yeah. We're right on there. <laughs> so the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. So, for example, in response to Janet's comment, God definitely all through the Old Testament, you guys that know Hebrew know all through like the, the you know, the, the, the first five books, you know, God would bring a plague because of what the people did. So absolutely, God tests us and tries us and, and, and plagues our sin. So how it relates to Corona, I don't know exactly, but I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Certainly a lot of people have turned back to God in their hearts, minds, and souls. And uh, it's been a huge spiritual blessing bringing people face to face with their, their mortality. What do you guys think? And revelation also for plagues. Yeah. Wow, that's true. You guys have been studying that, haven't you, on uh, Wednesday? Yeah. And um, do, do, does, does any of it work in revelation, though? Uh, can you remind me? Uh, no, they just simply refuse to repent. Oh, dang it. <laughs> how, how does that work when people then inject the plague inside of themselves? I mean, they, they're, they're, they get injected with, with the virus. <laughs> it, viruses used to be the dead, the dead plague. The dead pathogen. The dead pathogen. Yeah, the dead pathogen is not going to hurt you. That's, yeah. But it's, a, it's an interesting question. Is this plague a wake-up call from heaven? I agree. I it, think it, it it's for sure. It's a pestilence, is it not? Yeah. It's a spiritual battle. Okay, a spiritual battle. That's that's a side of the track that you look at. There's also the natural, which is evil man did something really stupid and uh, got our science and warped it, and look what we did. 
well, we just reap what we, we reap what we sow, people. But there's a spiritual aspect to it. You see it in Leviticus. They would look at a physical thing and they would, would try and ascertain, is there a spiritual side to this? And if there is, man, I better, I better fix myself up. Yes. So this relates, boys, to Job 5.17, right? Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the, the Almighty. Amen. What reference was that? Job, say it again. Job 5.17. Yeah, okay. But, but listen to this. It's powerful. You guys, it's powerful because it goes on to say, verse 18, for he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he shall redeem you from death. And in war, from the power of the sword, blah, blah, blah. But, but ultimately, notice that it was not the Lord God bringing that sickness upon the person. No, Satan did. Right. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah disagree. So there are, there are verses in the text where God brings plague. There's also in Job, it, it's, uh, Satan goes down. He's given free reign, right? He's given free reign, uh, but, it, but it definitely comes, uh, comes from him. Janet, you've got uh, a hand raised. This, this came up recently. Um, I won't go into detail. Just uh, We had a pastor's wife very sick with corona. She actually passed away. Um, we, we, got, we were aware of um, a, a person in California who's been praying for corona, and he early on was looking at Psalm um, 91 about the pestilence and the plague and he did some research on the word katev which is in psalm 96 uh, 91 and found out and, and Motti, maybe you can help me here he went into a commentary on this word and some of the rabbis had said that it, actually this word pestilence related to evil spirit and it was very interesting. So this person, whose name is Ken Fish, who's quite quite reputable in the Christian world, um, has done a lot of prayer on over people with corona and actually uh, dealt with it in terms of an evil spirit, which again, you know, I mean, heavens, we just aren't used to that these days of, of relating. And to me, it seemed like, Okay, this is a real virus. Uh, viruses are not created by God. And it could be quite likely that spiritual things could get attached to it. Um, because I think, you know, we have one who's the destroyer of our souls. So plagues are a way of, you know. <laughs> and did it leave immediately, Janet? Sorry to jump in. Did it leave immediately, the person, when they prayed for them? The disease? Yes, he's had, um, he's had. He's had many, many cases, actually, of where, um, you know, it, it's being spoken to in the sense of where Yeshua would speak to evil spirits to come to people, and then whatever was bothering them was healed. Um, we've been kind of really struggling with it because actually this dear sister did die. Uh, actually, we've lost two friends very recently to Corona. And... Um, and you know it's supposed to be sort of it's supposed to be rather benign right now. You know we're being told, but depends on your variant. We're seeing very 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 sick. So um, I would love Marty to actually be able to. I I tried to look for this uh, rabbinic commentary on that verse. I'll, I'll send it to you, Marty, and 
I can't, I can't access it because I don't have access to that sort of material, but it was in an Aramaic text dictionary that he was researching further into. Ah, are you, are you talking about uh, the Peshitta, the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew Bible? Um, he called it the HAL, the Hebraic Aramaic Lexicon. Okay, that might be it. So, so what translations are really helpful for, what do I mean by this, is you have a Hebrew original, and then you have uh, uh, Aramaic and then a, 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 bit, a bit later a Greek translation. And they're really good to, to, to help us try and understand how, how the, the Jewish people were reading those texts. So they were taking a word and, and in their translation, deliberately choosing a, tra- a word to translate that implied a spirit, spiritual component. And that tells us that the people of that day really did think in terms of there could be a spiritual application to this verse. Um, uh, for us, for us as, as believers, um, it's the, the, the Septuagint, is the, you know, it's the verse that translates Almar into, into virgin, which is not what it means literally in Hebrew. Okay? But it tells us that two, three hundred years prior to Jesus, when they were translating Isaiah, they knew that word for in that context meant virgin. But that's the word we're going to translate. So translations are very helpful. So if this is the Aramaic, the Peshitta Aramaic, then um, that's 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 helpful to to see how they they run with that um, that thought. I'll just give the verse reference here, you know, because it involves some study. It's it's Psalm ninety one verse six, which in my I'm reading of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. So it's actually a translation of this word destruction. Okay. All right. I've actually got the Aramaic here, but I can't actually read it. I have a look at it, yeah. Yeah, because, Janet, I'll, I'll jump in there for a second, too, if you don't mind, because at the beginning, this plague, say, about the first or second day into it, in my quiet time, I found Psalm 91, and I found God gave it to me, honestly, and I've just clung on to it and prayed for it and, you know, asked God's blessing, and I haven't gotten sick for two years, but you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, like, I feel like God blesses us when we're obeying him and following him, and I think we can make that observation from Scripture and from its teachings, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we have to, again, everything, it runs in parallel because at the end of the day, no matter how righteous you are, what's going to happen to each and every one of us? We're going to die. We are going to die. Correct. Not technically. Well, okay. <laughs> yes, that's right. Currently, Sharon, I'm living forever. Just letting everybody know. Okay. Jesus said that. Yes, praise the Lord. Okay. Uh, Vida or David, you're up. Sunny England. Considering all that we're talking about, Chair, whether it be a spiritual or whatever, have we, as, as believers, lost the Great Commission? Because didn't the Lord say, go out there, make disciples of all nations and, and heal in my name, and these miracles and signs will follow you, cast out demons, heal the sick, etc. So perhaps perhaps what we've done is we've, we've lost the Great Commission. And, and uh, I'm curious about that because... You know, what, what is it? Are we relying too much on modern medicine to, to resolve things that are spiritual? Well, you certainly can't rely on modern medicine to resolve a spiritual issue, but you can rely on modern medicine to resolve a natural issue. Well, where are the guidelines? Where are the guidelines, guys, of how you do it? So whenever you approach a problem, <laughs> step one, 
spiritual yeah. step two okay go to the physical step three oh it's chemical you know what i mean how's the where's the where's the guidelines boy for example i've just we've just heard an amazing testimony from a person who for 17 years endured so many terrible sicknesses seeking the lord on this basis through modern medicine seeking the lord and finally he got a word from the lord which healed him completely wow it's 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 kind of weird that that i think that the lord has put medicine there for a reason okay but you should but i believe you should seek the lord to see if you go to the doctor in everything you should seek god whether and he will guide you to go to the doctor or to trust him on a word whatever god is the one who we should be seeking and not just saying okay this is on this level so i'll go here but i'll do everything else with god we should always come to god first and foremost and if he wants you to go to doctor or lead you to doctor he's the one who guides you amen amen sister but then 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 you have to truly hear the holy spirit really yeah. i don't really know how to <laughs> wrap any of that up in a, in a, in a, in a way that would make any actual sense other than to say we have this text in front of us which describes some sort of illness may or may not be contagious um you go and seek a priest because god is the healer and you've got your agent um and jewish commentaries take take the literal level which is just a skin disease and they look at the spiritual level what's going on is there actually a sin and they and they 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 mainly run to lashon hara the evil tongue although they do list other sins as well they're not they're not ignoring them pride and uh, sexual uh, immorality and such but they've they've certainly got a big one on on the tongue the new testament has it as well and um and then and then the, and so you are going to have to look at the spiritual aspect as well as the as the the physical as, aspect so you run both things at a time i don't think there's a formula that we can jump to other than to acknowledge though both options have to be always on the table and as a society we have to understand physical quarantine on a natural level dude you're sick stay in your house right you know don't give the plague to your neighbor that's just nasty we also uh need to understand spiritual quarantine which a lot of our communities don't know how to do this is something we're not we're, most of us are not familiar with spiritual quarantine we usually allow sin to remain in the camp but the new testament has some teaching on it too is uh, that you know it has to be brought out it has to be fixed up it's it's, it's the holiness is transferable and contagious and attractive and sin is contagious and unfortunately very attractive and uh so we we have to be um wise on all of those all of those uh all of those fronts and it depends on depends on what sometimes what the what the disease is or whatever that um i've noticed I and mean, i'm not against medicine or anything but sometimes it's like depending on what it is sometimes taking medication or popping a pill and just dealing with it at a very spiritual at a very superficial level where sometimes it can be something deeper and by medicating ourselves or sometimes you don't get to the essence of sometimes the issues that you may have to face and maybe don't want to face so it's interesting how we do really need to do an internal check always always the most which is more important the physical or the spiritual the, it, you know what does paul say physical exercise profits a little 
Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, so we, we, we need to look at our, our spiritual souls first. You know, on the other hand, no one's going to get a six-pack without doing ab crunches, okay? Um, so you've you got to do both, right? You know, but but we, weigh, we weigh the importance on the spiritual side and on the other side, let's eat healthy. Let's take care of, of our bodies, your body, my body. Let's, you know, take our vitamins and, and minerals. and. Whatever. On the plus side, you can get a six-pack through surgery. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you can be absolutely anything if you've got enough money. Yeah. I think it's so interesting during, um, you know, drinking the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, therefore. So it really is, is to look inward. So that's right. That's the individual bit. Which remember, right at the start of this portion, who actually identifies that I'm sick first? The individual. Individual. And Hopefully we can have a look in the mirror and go, yeah, I got some issues I got to work on. Uh, good start. Right? And, um, and if, I, if I can't identify them myself, then may I have the humility to let my brother tell me. You know, so somebody comes along and says, Aaron, you got an issue and you need to work on this for the good of the body, right? Not just for yourself, but for all of us as well, you know, because it's infectious. And uh, that's why we need to keep, keep in community. We really should get to know each other really well so that we, we're, um, we can note when we're actually spiritually sick as well as physically sick. Uh, Teresa from London, one of my favorite cities in the world. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to raise the point about the link between emotion and physical disease because um, we split them so much. And in the old days, they used to see see the body as one, the body-mind as one, shall we say. And you can see so many links if you just... I'm not saying everything comes from emotion, don't get me wrong, but there is such a strong link and in, in some of our language, and I can't think of it quickly, but things like a pain in the neck, you know, well, what does that mean when we talk about he's a pain in the neck? Is neck is often to do with anger. And I remember when I was doing my master's in psychotherapy, I got really interested in this and I was interested in one particular, not, not to follow psycho, the psychoanalyst, but it was somebody who was getting into the body and he was amazed at the amount of anger he saw associated with people's backs and necks and I just that interested me and then the more you look at it and more you look at yourself or I look at myself I can often see there's a link between where I'm at emotionally and you know things like grief for example or anger and bitterness you know all those things do affect us Right and some of them we would class as sinful. We, I don't think we class grief as sinful, but, you know, so that, that was the point I wanted to make because I think it's overlooked so easily. And I read a, a really interesting book at the time. I don't know what I'd feel if I read it now, but it was talking about how in the old days it was the rabbi and the priest who you'd go to when you were sick. And now they've split it. They split medicine. Um, so that you go to a separate place for emotional and a separate place for the physical. And, uh, yeah, that really made me think when I read that ages ago now. 
Yeah, that's really good, Teresa. And even that, even that are spiritual, right? Like I totally agree. And that's so, like, so when you're spiritually, uh, you know, you're, you're experiencing shame or guilt, then you have those physical ramifications if you just continue on in it. And there's freedom and peace in being forgiven and, and, and loved by Jesus and accepted and significant. Amen. Linda from Scotland. Yeah, just your chat, it, it reminds me of when I volunteered at CFI in Jerusalem and we had a very close relationship with our next door neighbours who was a family, a Sephardic family, and they had seven children. And one of the, the 12-year-old twins got cancer and she seemed to be getting better and then she got worse again. And I was speaking to the mum Zippy in the garden one day and she said that her and her husband were going down to the hotel every night to pray because they felt that the reason why Sarah, Sarit had got cancer was due to them. And the only way they knew to deal with it was to go down to the hotel every night and pray. I, I just find that really hard. Yeah. Yep. Any form of sickness and death is hard because it's anti-God. Right? God is life and death has entered the world. It's something that shouldn't be here. We don't like it. Um, and, and we struggle we, we, with it. Where does it come from? Does it come from something we did? I mean, these are all the issues that are being raised right now. Um, but uh, as a community, let's remember that in Leviticus, uh, as, in, as, in, as in our community right now, God is telling us to be holy. You be holy because I am holy. And how we be holy? He wants us to distinguish between sacred and profane. He, uh, he wants us to have holy, holy places, holy, holy people, holy priests, holy altars, incense, you know, that kind of stuff. And then also a people that also reflect his holiness. The animals are without blemish and his people have to be without blemish. And that includes in their sin. And so they take the, uh, the idea of physical skin disease as well as spiritual disease very seriously. And we often in our world today, we, we, have, um, we gloss over holiness and gloss over sin a little too much, I think. Um, uh, and instead of reflecting, reflecting God appropriately and his holiness, we're reflecting something else. And it's, it's unfortunately not very attractive for people to join the church. And we have begun to fail in our mandate. And maybe these plagues that do come, like this corona, are indeed wake-up calls. And we have the opportunity to stand up and shine our light. And if we're not, let's ask ourselves why are we not doing that? Why are we not shining our light in the in the play right now? No, no, when when we really should be. And we all have have probably know people who have lost uh, to this to this play. And we all know people who have lost their jobs and and, uh, and and all kinds of things. But it's our opportunity to reflect the holiness and love of God with our neighbor. And may these plays actually wake us up to do such a thing. Okay, um, Sharon, you've already had a few things. I'm going to go Brandon, Germany. There, where are you from again, Brandon? Yeah. So I was listening in on a couple of you guys were talking about the connection between um, sin and sickness and how we often run to modern medicine. And I think it's really a, an issue of the heart what a person is truly trusting in because I, I live in a country where um, in Germany, where modern medicine is at the forefront, um, you could say, in the world. And uh, many people, in my experience here, um, do trust in modern medicine. Uh, believers do. They trust a lot in modern medicine. But as 
we're talking about all of this and thinking about um, the text we're doing with uh, this verse came to mind in James, which I think it's often like some of you said, we run quickly to the doctor. We run somewhere else other than running to the Lord and to the scriptures. But it says, um, is anyone among you sick? James chapter five, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I just wanted to point that verse out. Oh, that's an excellent connection because it shows in the New Testament this connection to the, the Jewish thought in the Hebrew Bible that physical illnesses can have a spiritual um, bearing behind them. And while, the, while we all acknowledge the literal reading of Leviticus doesn't mention sin, okay, it, that it doesn't, but in the commentary, you're looking for the words that are not there, looking for the reasons. And so in Jewish commentaries and in the New Testament, so Jewish Christian commentaries, they also run to the same thing. Call your elders, pray. That doesn't say ignore medicine. That's not what it's saying. Okay? But it's saying don't ignore God, definitely, okay? which, is, which is a good point that sometimes we do rush to the doctor first and only the doctor and wonder why we spiritually never, ever, ever, ever get better. Okay, Sharon, and then um, a little summary and away we go. Yeah, just my thought was just to your point, Aaron, earlier, just that uh, in Genesis, you know, so God created it perfect, a perfect world and a perfect garden. And then at the fall of man, then sin and sickness and disease and death entered at that point, And it wasn't there previously. Right. So at that point now, we can expect it in terms of what to like having real realistic expectations in the world, but also understanding the origins and stuff that absolutely that's that's the source in a sense. Right. Right. Prior to our fall, it was all perfect. That's what our scriptures teach. And uh, we look forward to the day when um, uh, that death is no longer with us. That is indeed cast into hell. May that day be soon. Okay, brothers and sisters, we have the task before us to acknowledge that uh, we have to be as holy as the Lord is holy. We have to acknowledge that when we do encounter an illness or a sickness, might start with ourselves. Personally, individually, we need to uh, admit that we may not be in a good place and let us run to God first, but also keep an eye on medicine. Don't ignore that either. Just like the literal reading of the text, run with them both. Um, seek the counsel of God. Seek some friendship. Seek uh, 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 to find out the source um, of, our, of these plagues. Let them, whatever they are, let them wake us up, okay? Let the sleeper awake, that we can get back to being the, doing the, the job of, of being holy before the Lord, to share the light, to bring, the, to bring the gospel, to bring the good news, to bring healing, which is part of the, of the kingdom. And when we want to conquer the earth, take care of the darn thing, right? You know, that's um, uh, don't treat it like trash. <laughs> uh, there'll, there'll be some other verses. I hope that we can have those, those sort of uh, discussions. Amen. Okay, guys, so have a great Shabbat, whatever you do. Have a good rest. Stay healthy. Take your vitamins and minerals. Uh, and if you've got the plague, quarantine, cover your mouth. You're unclean, unclean. Uh, and keep praying for each other. Pray that people wake up in the world. 
particularly if they are getting very sick and maybe getting a bit closer to glory than they might want to be. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.